Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Welcome to another edition of uh, Quarantine uh, uh, Masala PTI Boys and Girls. I guess we are not s- still in quarantine, uh, Ravi. The NBA bubble is in full flow. It is, uh, Arvind, and uh, you know, glad to be back on this podcast and glad to be back as a sports fan being able to watch some live action. The NBA bubble has been a you know, sight for sore eyes in more ways than one for us. Absolutely, absolutely. I was pretty... Uh suspicious of it uh but let, let's talk about the bubble itself Ravi before we get into I know both of us are reaching to get into what's going on in the bubble yeah but uh me personally I I was a little uh uncomfortable the first couple of games during the uh during the lead up right what they call the scrimmage scrimmages it felt a little bit you know, summer league-ish, little bit practice, you know, training camp vibe. But I guess it just, we just got used to it. I feel like it looks perfectly fine as a, as a viewer on TV. It's like uh, they have done a fantastic job. I like how they've expanded the courts on all sides. They Even the baseline lines are much thicker. Just because I think they've just made sure more of our screen is filled with the court because the less you show the screen the more you are exposing our eyes to what would be the crowd right in normal yes. normal situation now that space is very little because it's just big on all sides i think this is the problem with baseball right when baseball when people hit you have to track the ball and unfortunately you go into the areas of the stadium and then it looks empty and weird and cutouts and all that I thought the NBA has really put some serious thought into this and, and done a great job. The whole bubble thing is just fantastically designed, thought through and operated. I, th- I think first things first, as a viewer, after a couple of, uh, what, 10 days now, uh, or even, couple, uh, yeah, I would say 10, 12 days, I am like perfectly comfortable with how it looks and feels on TV. Not to mention the level of play has been fantastic. What, what are your impressions on that part of the bubble? Uh, I I think you make a couple of interesting points there. One is, I think, in terms of the overall planning uh, and now the execution of it, I think the NBA has done this perfectly. Uh, Whether it is in terms of uh, what we as viewers are able to see off the game, uh, I think you're right, just kind of expanding or zooming into the game action much more than giving us any peripheral vision of the crowd, as is usually the case, I think has really led to, at least for me as a viewer, not even realizing at times that it's a different environment or it's a different game without live spectators. Also, along the Mm -hmm. same lines, I feel that what they have done as a, again, as a viewing experience during timeouts or in between or even bringing in some creative pre-game introductions like intros being done by the family members, I mean, things that don't really mean as much to the game itself, but I think add to the overall flavor of the viewing experience, I think the NBA has done this fantastically well. And, yes, yes. Uh, and, and to me, a comparison of that is, or not a comparison, but my anxiety before the, before the bubble started was, 
even if the game is top notch you kind of are ensconced in that 3 hour during that 3 hour window when you're watching a basketball game in into things which are somewhat related to the game itself like you know you'll have ads with players or you will have a sideline analyst talk about what just happened in the huddle how would you do that with a completely different you know a bubble scenario and i think i haven't i feel they haven't missed a beat everything else feels very much in game in action that you really haven't felt like oh this is a completely isolated cocoon like environment or a bubble like environment exactly i think their uh, every decision has pretty much worked out as well as uh, uh, enhanced the uh, viewing pleasure right like they have decided to flow in all the analysts for instance i thought they wouldn't do that initially uh they're all uh, on the sidelines you know they are just separated by a plexiglass uh, barrier and then they have the sideline reporters it just they just stand like 6 feet away with a long mic or something like that they've just put a lot of thought into it and made it good uh for us as viewers though i heard from in one of zach lowe's podcasts or something that uh, the players supposedly still feel weird right uh, this is absolutely understandable because these guys put on a show for 20,000 people every night and they don't have that but as far as the viewers goes i think they've just nailed the experience part of this and for you and me uh, basically the way the popular turned out for the phoenix suns has been an amazing amazing uh, uh, story right they just won today and they're now 6 and 0 which means basically uh, they have a legitimate shot now at at least getting in to the ninth spot and then forcing the issue. Uh it's been a complete surprise for me. I I, I wouldn't you know lie. Uh I had zero uh expectations going in, but now it's just uh it's just so real. I'm just excited beyond words. I I it's like within grasp. Uh how are you handling that part of uh, <laughs> the sun season? Uh, beyond belief beyond belief arvin and i feel like i haven't felt this way about a suns team since 2010 maybe uh, right i mean which obviously was the last time when nash was kind of in the final stage of uh, kind of being good enough to carry the team but i think since then as we all know it's been a constant decline and would probably was assumed to be so even in the bubble right i mean a lot of people were talking about it it making no sense to invite the suns exactly just to make up numbers and instead couple of things here one is a 6 and 0 is 6 and 0 but b as you and i were discussing prior to this podcast they seem to kind of almost have a very calm and secure sense of the fact that they are in every game there is no sense of despair there is no panic it seems like from what you see Uh, there is good camaraderie on the team they know who what their roles are so the roles are defined and those are the things i think that a coach makes a difference in you know often times I, i i usually hate those uh, jargonistic uh, analysis around oh the coach has come in and changed the team's culture and asked right. them to start winning and i mean none of those practically make much sense to me except in this case i feel that each player is or each player is almost like an actor who knows his role and they are kind of doing it almost as perfectly as being asked to and i think that's showing on the court exactly and i yeah i think uh, monty williams as a coach i to me i've been on a little bit of a roller coaster through the season i i thought he started off really well and then it's been up and down but in the bubble is completely you could see 
the team, the way everything works, the way they play, share the ball, the way the roles are well defined, you are absolutely right. It feels like a very well coordinated machine, and there's no way that happens with a bunch of 22 year olds without a good coach, right? You can clearly yeah. see, uh, even if we may not be able to explain exactly what he did or what he's doing behind the scenes, you can see that a good coach is in the picture and that's a huge part of what has uh, improved for the Suns this year in general and especially later this year in the bubble right now. Now, another thing Ravi, I think, has improved for them really is, I'm not the first guy making this point, but I think given this four and a half uh, month layoff, right, somebody made this point that the break between the Gobert game on March 11th and or whatever it was and July 31st is actually almost the same or longer than what a finals team would have between uh, during a regular off season between mid June and the start of the next season, right? I see, right. So right, this right. is a long break. So you could argue that for rookies and young players, this is the next year actually. So if yeah. they had opportunity to practice, they had access to courts and things like that. Unfortunately, they could not have played with NBA-level talent, right? Because practices were, uh, you know, curtailed and stuff like that. But if they had at least worked on their craft, watched videos and been a professional about it, this is really third year for Michael Bridges, second year for Cam Johnson, right? You could make an argument this is not even the rookie season for somebody like Cam Johnson. They are coming in the next year. So you can... Imagine how much more development they, they, there could be, right? And obviously, this has not worked out for everybody. Unfortunately, you know, even for Zion and New Orleans and Memphis, they have been hit with a bunch of injuries and things like that. They have not come in like the next year's version of themselves. Right. I, don't, I totally feel like, like Michael Bridges and Cam John, these guys and even DeAndre Ayton, I feel like they've come into the bubble like next year's version, like another year under their belt. Just watching them play, that's the impression I get. Hmm. You know, again, solid, solid, solid assessment there, which makes me feel, again, good about how things are going right now. But hopefully that doesn't burst the bubble, no pun intended, on <laughs> what I had actually made up in my mind, which is to me, this bubble represented a glorified preseason slash off-season for the Suns to really build game action together and then treat the 2021 season as when they start showing their wares. And instead, obviously, they're looking like world beaters right now. And your logic makes a lot of sense, wherein they have had more than the time typically taken in between seasons. So they have already reached that gel moment. Almost. I hope what doesn't happen, or almost, right? Yeah. What I'm hoping doesn't happen is that the intermediary gap between when this, this season ends and the next one starts should not in any way curtail the momentum. I am a big believer in momentum and to me, if there is any way they can kind of encapsulate what they are doing right now and carry on with it when game one of next year's regular season starts, I think this bubble would have been the reason for the turnaround in their fortunes. Hey, I see I see how you are uh, really guarded about this bubbles, uh, you know, outcomes for Suns. And I totally agree with you. There's no guarantee still, right? The problem is they came in N number of games behind. That's They're caught up, right? But still yeah. jumping two or three teams is much harder just because 
there are so many variables. You could go eight and oh, and you know, if, if one team's ahead of you goes whatever, right? Six and two, you are still out and things like that. So they're getting very close to that proverbial, they control their own destiny part, but I feel like they are still not there yet just because the runway is so short and they're still behind you know, a couple of teams as far as even getting into this uh, playing game goes. So I like yeah, your yeah. guarded optimism about this season. And as far as next season, it could go one of two ways, right? You're absolutely right that they won't have the benefit of the normal training camp and all that. Most probably it will be, uh, you know, curtailed in terms of how many practices, how many preseason games, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. But I'm also hoping the optimistic side of me thinks maybe they take in this momentum and basically step in seamlessly as if it's just a continuation of this bubble, right? Uh, time will tell how it ends, but fingers crossed as far as uh, where they end up in this bubble. I, I, you know, I feel like they have a real shot at getting to nine and then forcing that one game playoff. The ideal situation as a fan would be a eight, nine versus, uh, you know, Blazers and Suns. Sorry, yeah. Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. And then uh, either of those teams uh, forcing a pretty tough series on the Lakers. Because I think the the sexy pick here is Portland Trailblazers getting the eighth seed and giving all sorts of trouble for the Lakers, right? But I think people are underestimating what kind of trouble the Suns can be in the same situation for the Lakers. Because we don't have a Dame Lillard, but we have a Devin Booker. And that's no walk in the park for the Lakers guard uh, defenders either. Plus, I think we are defensively a lot more uh, uh, balanced than a Portland trade basis team. Speaking of, what what's your take on them and what Dame Lillard has been doing lately? Uh, it's been fantastic watching him as well. Yes, yes, he's playing at an all-time uh, great level. Uh, much as I kind of am having trouble saying that uh, and I was telling you before uh, the podcast started that we have a traitor in the house in my home because my older son is a huge uh, trailblazers and a Damian Lillard fan because of that I've had the opportunity or the obligation to watch their games and yeah there are times where you feel like he's unguardable Uh, in fact there are times in every game where it feels like he just takes over looking really good but again stepping back into the you know, into the fan soapbox. I will say that if the Suns were to play Blazers in a three-game series today, I would actually bet on the Suns. Um, Because to me, they seem like they have an 80% of Dame Lillard in Booker, but they have a better all-around team. Something that actually you brought to my attention. I think 1 through 10 or 1 through 9, whatever their rotation roster is, I feel the Suns are the better team all-around right now. Right, right. I agree with that. Uh, it's just the Lillard piece. He's literally carrying that team on his shoulders. Yeah. And that piece throws a wrench in how you would evaluate uh, any of this, right? But I think the I am beginning to think the Suns roster is a little bit more balanced on both sides of the fall. Because the Blazers are pretty awesome. But the problem I see is I don't think they can defend that well actually right right they seem pretty shaky uh, that's why all their games are pretty high scoring and things like that like ridiculously high scoring anyway we'll um, we will see where all of this ends but it's definitely an exciting time ravi and uh, what, what 
speaking of you know Damian Lillard and how you know both of us live in the Bay Area, so the one uh, conflict here is how he's in the way of the Suns in some ways. Uh, he's not the only one. He's definitely in the way in this playoff situation. And the other thing that I wanted to discuss as well is how this chatter is increasing that he's now the best point guard in the league. Yeah. And he's better than Steph Curry. Um, I am really torn on that. Uh, there's a lot of recency bias there. Obviously, people have not seen Steph in, in what, 13, 14 months, except for three or four games. Uh, but at the same time, this guy is clearly improved, right? This is not the same Lillard we saw two years back. Two years back, no question, right? Curry was way, way, way better than him. Right. But now he's clearly closing the gap. If we don't want to put him ahead of Curry, that's probably the right decision. But sometimes guys just get better. And Curry at 32 is not going to get much better because he was always already awesome. He was he was like an amazing finished product at 26, 27. So I'm thinking, Ravi, maybe this is just a little bit of a late bloomer in the sense that he's becoming really, uh, I'm talking about Dame Lillard, that MVP level elite are 29, 30 as opposed to 27, 28. And I do feel like he's catching up to Curry, if, if, even if I don't uh, want to put him ahead of Curry yet. Well, what's, your, uh, what's your take on it? More importantly, what's your first son's take on it? <laughs> uh, first son's take is that Dim Lillard is uh, now, need, I mean, he needs to be talked about in, or he needs to be added to... <laughs> The conversation of uh, who's better, Jordan or LeBron, and he feels there is a there is a there is a third spot now to be discussed along with him, which is obviously senseless. But you know, well, uh, I thought I thought the third spot belonged to T.J. Warren, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but wasn't wasn't your son also a Curry fan? No, no, he's never been a Curry fan. Actually, you know what? So he shifted gears from uh, being a Suns fan, and therefore because he was a Suns fan, oh. and again the same old. Being in the same conference, do not want the Warriors to win at the cost of the Suns and all of that. To now switching to the Portland Trailblazers, so, so so the Warriors have always been the the detour for him. I mean, not okay. not really a team that he follows. And the only thing I'll give him credit for is I think a year and a half ago or two years ago, he basically was arguing with some of his friends uh, at the cost of kind of obviously major fights that Booker was a better version of Clay Thompson. I kind of <laughs> now today I kind of I mean I would go go to bat for him on that, but still I think he was a little too early on that. But uh, uh, but to your question, uh, Arvind, I think you know if you look at things as. A game, the basketball game consists of five or six different categories and let's evaluate Dame Lillard versus Steph Curry on each one of those six categories. I think that is a valid argument to make that Lillard might be the best point guard. Having said mm-hmm. that, to me, you know, those things look good on paper. At the end of the day, you kind of visualize or make your choice based on, you know, in the last two minutes or in game seven of a three and three series, who would I rather have as my point guard? I would still take Curry. Because I feel he brought, especially for that three, four year stretch, he brought a dimension to the game and to the Warriors that had literally never ever been seen before. Exactly. And this year, if you look at this past season as a mulligan, what is to say that he will not do the same exact thing next year? At which point to me, at worst, as a as 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 an MVP for his team, he will be on par with Lillard, no worse. But the ceiling that Curry brought in those three or four seasons, 
I would still really be guarded against betting or, or guarded on betting against him. So that's the argument for Curry, right? All time Lillard is still nowhere near him. Yeah. Actually, it's not even close, right? You got to win championships, you got to win MVP, blah, blah, blah. But just as a snapshot in time, this year 2021, is he going to be on par or better than Curry is the question. And uh, you said a couple of interesting things there. The amazing thing about Curry, Ravi, is visually, I test a lot of these guys look the same or sometimes even better, right? So you'll you'll watch a great Lillard game and say, wow, this guy is, you know, he's, he's same as Curry. And then you'll watch like Harden once and think, oh man, he's even better than Curry, right? And then you go and look at numbers. Curry beats these guys every single time. Exactly. It's, uh, it's exactly. amazing how efficient that guy has been, not for six months, not for one year, his entire career. And I think that's the part which sometimes the eye test is tricking us, I feel like, almost. Because I saw a recent, recent infographic, right? You, have you seen those one of those things where uh, NBA, like TV shows this, right? Where they will divide the uh, court by different quadrants and tell you how, what percentage people are showing shooting from these different places, like above the key, free throw line, down, down, sides, corner threes, and so on and so forth. I mean, we have been seeing this since... MJ days in the 90s. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So they they had one of those infographic comparing uh, Harden and Curry through the two, 2010s, right? The entire decade. And mentally, I was thinking Curry is obviously a much more efficient three-point shooter. But as uh, you get closer to the hoop with Harden's amazing drives and all that, that he's going to be better at those areas, Right. Now, it turns out, of course, Harden does get a lot more free throws, which is the most efficient shot, by the way. But in every single quadrant, Curry has a better shooting percentage than Harden. That just wow. blew my mind. Every single piece of the court is better than Harden when it comes to shooting percentage. So that guy is just out of the world as far as offensive efficiency goes. And sometimes I feel like it gets lost in the way we consume uh, you know, the product today with social media and all of that. Uh, yes, and in, I will use another uh, kind of data point or case in point here to kind of illustrate the same. So yesterday's game where Portland was down by three against the Sixers, there was a phase, no, down by three or maybe down by six, but anyway, they ended up leading by four because of this absolutely bizarre and crazy looking stretch where Damian Lillard scored 10 straight points or something like that. Nice. And, and right, and the, and the whole... Uh, perspective was, oh my God, this guy's taken over, looking like the best player on the court, I mean, best player in the world right now and all of it. And then you step back and think that Curry probably had at least 40 to 50 such quote-unquote runs when, mm-hmm. you know, he scored the next 15 points for his team or the next 10 points. The problem is he makes it look so easy that it almost doesn't register as much. Right. Even in a slash, make a make a make a two point layup against a double team, or get fouled and make two free throws, then hit like a thirty foot three pointer, followed by another dribble penetration, and you know layup, whatever it is. Not to say that those things don't matter. I mean, those things are freaking incredibly difficult. But I sometimes feel Curry makes the game look so easy that one has stopped, especially because out of sight, out of mind, not having seen him play, has made right. people forget how great he has been. Yeah, exactly. And I think next year, I can't wait for next year, how it looks. Yeah. I think he will also be under tremendous pressure. 
because all these people are gunning for him, right? Uh, there are peers who he has been beating up for for five years. There are youngsters who are coming up. It's just going to be a, a, a incredible season. I hope he stays healthy and and shows us uh, his usual uh, tricks of the trade. Um, one last thing about the Suns angle on this, Ravi, a little bit of a sore note in some sense, in the sense that uh, uh, we traded away TJ Warren and he seems to be literally killing it in the bubble. Yeah. Uh, what happened to that guy? I have no idea what happened to that guy. You know, that's that's one guy. And I'm in general tired of listening to that narrative every time he has a great game that, oh, the Suns gave him up for cash. You know, I you how often how often can you keep beating a dead horse? But I guess the Suns deserve deserve that. The only thing I will say on that, and you know, this kind of certifies me as a freaking Suns bandwagoner for life. But the Suns made the choice when they basically had to deal with was it Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. T.J. Warren and a fourth guy. I forget who it was, but basically they could only keep three and they kind of decided to give up the tradable asset. Uh, So my point is, eventually players become great and, uh, you know, uh, then you regret your decision. But at that point in time, it wasn't as foolish as it has now come out to be. And this has nothing to do with how good T.J. Warren is. T.J. Warren has become great. But they had to make a choice of which three to keep and they chose obviously the wrong guy to leave. Well, yeah, you're right. I think they were also trying to clear cap space for uh, for Russell, yeah, right? or yeah, yeah, D'Angelo Russell, and that that's justifiable. I I don't think we were screaming from the tower rooftops at this trade at that time. It's a little bit of revisionist history, you're right, but at the same time, that guy has always been uh, in today's game with the wings being so critical. Uh, he has always been productive for the Suns. So I was, and obviously I didn't expect what he's doing right now, but I was a little bit disappointed that they traded him. Plus, always the emotional thing, right? Where he was our draft pick. He was kind of homegrown. Uh, but then, like you said, how many homegrown wings can they have? You're right. There was Kelly Oubre, there was Cam Johnson, there was Michael Bridges, and Oh, yeah. Oubre. Oubre. I forgot. Yeah. yeah, he was the fourth guy. It's kind of funny. We all forgot about Oubre already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, 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 you know, because to me, there is no, it won't be surprising to me at all if the same exact thing plays out next season or during the offseason where they are again back to square one on having to decide which two out of these three they keep. And, you know, the chances are they'll probably do something with Oubre. And if that happens, and Oubre has every capability of becoming a 20-point game scorer for someone else. But those are the decisions a team has to make. And, exactly, know, and in those scenarios, you're right. The, the uh, more expensive guys is is the more expendable guy, right? Correct. Why would you keep Ubre at whatever he's making, twelve or fourteen million, ahead of uh, uh, Michael Bridges, who seems like a you know stars about to explode, and he's making like one third that salary? Right. You're absolutely right. The history may repeat itself. That's a great point you made. And and the and the and the other angle to this is beggars can't be choosers. So sons have spent pretty much the last decade, you know, putting their proverbial foot in their mouth all along. So when you are at that much of an under pressure, 
known as the trash of the nba kind of a situation you've got to take a big swing i mean you can you can you can't play defensive at all and in this case they figured that they were trying to do something which you know uh, to clear up space get d'angelo russell and it didn't work which made them look even stupider now but exactly. you know what you know what eventually i feel it'll it, it'll even out to be frank with you ravi i am glad it doesn't work it didn't work i, I you know considering again money is a part of this i would rather have uh, some other point guard than delo considering yes. his defensive uh, weaknesses and things like that and the fact that he's a max guy right yeah exactly so i'm happy where it all ended up except for you know warren uh, not being on the team anyways uh, enough of sunstock i guess for this week hopefully we have more to uh, <laughs> discuss uh, next week yeah uh, any other thoughts on the bubble my my top 3 uh, things i'm looking forward to revere uh, i think the west playoffs is going to be just amazing yeah uh, of course the one was as eight we have special interest in that and that's also going to be one of the best matchups i'm also sneaky excited that there is a rockets uh, okc matchup just to see mm. chris paul uh, play the rockets uh and then last but not the least ravi i i i am fascinated by toronto in the east i think they are going to be a load to handle i think they are they are going to go all the way to the finals and bucks better be prepared if if that's the matchup and what the, are your Tor- thoughts i never thought i would say this but what really impresses me about toronto is the fact that they play defense they play on the defensive side they act like they really care uh, their defense and the way i think uh nurse has them playing uh, help defense has been just a breath of fresh air again going back to where we started today's conversation it feels like otherwise nba has become a game of 120 against 118 right and i think sometimes there are especially phases in the game where i feel the toronto raptors uh, the way they play team defense harks back to the uh, uh, to the you know to the to the style of basketball from a few from a decade or so ago and it because it is an exception you kind of tend to appreciate it more and i think they are going to be a load for milwaukee to handle exactly cool let's let's pivot a little bit to uh uh football uh, yeah typically this is our favorite time of the year with fantasy just ramping up fantasy yeah. football unfortunately the vibe is completely different now with covid and things like that right uh Where do you think the NFL season is? Let's talk about that first. What I feel, I'll give you my take first. I think they're going to start. You know, NFL mm-hmm. is, nothing is going to stop the train from starting. Now, I'll put 50 bucks on that, right? But is it going to end? I, I won't bet more than five bucks on that. Uh, given what's happening in MLB and things like that, this can go in like a thousand different ways, right? but i do feel like they will get to the starting line maybe even on the prescribed date and then we will get a few weeks of games and then we'll go from there and see how the cookie crumbles as they say where where, where are you with the whole season yeah, i'm just going to steal what you just said because you actually mentioned it on our uh, on our uh, friends whatsapp group as well and it really did appeal to me that i think there should be no a uh, problem or no red flags to the season actually starting but i am heavily pessimistic about the season getting more than halfway past its uh, finish line or mm-hmm. halfway halfway through the actual course of the season because 
and we are seeing that with the nba right things are working the way they are because of again quote unquote the bubble in a sport like the nfl a to establish that level of infrastructure is incredibly i mean it, it, they're not even planning to do that but i'm just thinking that even to establish protocol and legislate what who gets to do what and all of it just feels like a pipe dream so right. yes i think the season starts but then i have no idea whether it means three games six games after eight games get suspended none of those are going to be surprising to me mm, given that what's your excitement level for the fantasy football because that's what a lot of my friends are talking about right so let's say one is like the lowest uh, level of excitement and 100 is the typical ravi uh, level this time of the year for fantasy because uh we know we both know how we excited we all get for fantasy but especially yeah. uh you with your uh, wheeling and dealing and trading and all those things that are on your radar so where would you put your level of excitement between 1 and 100 i would say it would it is at a 25 so i'm really low uh, I, because to me uh two things one is uh, you know until until and and the one good thing about the the league of record that we typically talk about the one good thing about that league is we draft really late we draft literally the day before the season starts which works out well this year because you know that's as certain as you can get about whether the season is really going to start so mm-hmm. that i have no problems with i think that's great we will know for sure who's playing who's not which player is not going to opt out season is going to happen or not i think we we will know that surely so that's good but to me the very fact that you're going to spend cycles of time and we all i mean in this league we all spend oodles of you know intellectual mind share on figuring out who, who to draft when and then to find out that two weeks and the season has been cancelled will be a huge bummer so i'm not even trying to think too hard about it this year around wow okay so i'm i'm ahead of you in terms of the excitement level there. i see I'm, I'm, yeah sorry yeah no, so where are you where are I you on say, it i've put myself all the way up to like 65 or 70 nice. actually nice nice yeah the reason being i, I like i was uh, telling some of my friends earlier uh, that this may be the only time we can even get excited about because it may all be taken away from us in uh in you know late october or whatever so i am literally pretending like this is normal in a full season and i'm going to do the normal fantasy stuff leading up to it right mm. like you say game one happens then all bets are off nothing is under my control so the only thing that's under my control is i can feel excited now about fantasy and the nfl and and like i said i think they will get to the start line so yeah i'm i'm at 65 70 but more i talk to friends like yourself Uh, I'm actually dampening myself a little bit. Believe it or not, usually you guys get me more excited. Uh, <laughs> I am I'm slowing down because I don't want to be the idiot in the village who is uh, who who is too excited about this because I totally understand the risks and the downside and in a weird way that is what is making me excited in the sense that enjoy it while you can, right? That is maybe just October and part of I mean Uh, that may just be august and part of september after that you and i both of us may be at zero for uh, lack of uh, you know any other yeah. choice so given that what what what's uh, in your mind as far as the fantasy side of things goes i know you were always on to some players that you are excited about and things like that you can share a couple of names i can share a couple of names but uh, honestly i am 
even with that 65% of excitement i am way behind on any serious research type activities so uh, and, and and i'm right there with you arvind given my 25% excitement level i must confess to not having done any deep drill analysis into some some golden nuggets or some you know trashy poop in the early rankings I did want to address something about fantasy overall right so to me the other reason why i am not hyper excited is i mean you know i must uh, say, I, i feel very confident about this that typically what i try to do is to deal with an nfl season or a fantasy season in three games at a stretch so whether it is players i draft or players i trade for or players i pick up i look no further than the next three games mm-hmm. and okay. and we have, we have talked about it in the past right you know sometimes uh, i would trade for a player one week and then the next week i would literally trade that very same player mm-hmm. and the reasoning for that is again you really don't know whether this same player will be half the player he was or double the player he will be in two week by in five weeks time or six weeks time so there is no reason building a roster so to speak and in right. that sense i think that strategy has hardly if ever worked well but i think this would be a season <laughs> this would be a season where it may work wherein no one really knows who's going to you know whether even the season will remain or not so right what what that does though is makes trading that much harder because no one's going to have like a different mindset than what you are coming in for them uh, come coming coming to them with so if that's another reason why i'm not super thrilled in terms of players there are two players that i found in the top 20 of fantasy pros list that really and i just happened to glance upon them which mm-hmm. i wanted to actually ask you for your thoughts on so one is at number 12 overall i saw clyde edwards heller and i understand that uh, damian williams has opted out so that's the reason for him to be like you know like basically a consensus first second round turn around pick so i was going to ask you where you would be if you were to pick 12th in our sffl draft and yeah. i see number 13 deandre hopkins mm. if kyler is the fifth best quarterback being drafted um Hopkins as the number 13 player overall compared to how typically he's been the first or the second wide receiver of the board so just wanted to get your thoughts on both of those things yeah so i i wouldn't pick that uh, kid from KC at 12 it just feels too risky for me mm-hmm. plus this is where i think the covid is really affecting in the sense there are no preseason games we won't be able to see him run we won't be able to see what Andy Reid wants to do with him and all of that, right? Not that I am some kind of expert on football, but we have to basically rely on uh, reports on how the practices are going. And I don't even know, Ravi, what kind of access the media has to these practices and things like that in the COVID world. So without preseason and exposure for us, I think 12 for that kid seems a little too high. Just between 12 and 13, I might just flip it. Yeah, pick DeAndre Hopkins over him. I guess that's what you are alluding to as well. Maybe you think he should be uh, DeAndre should be even higher than twelve. Yeah, but I can see why he is in that range, right? Number one, even as a second or third best wide receiver in the league, you are probably falling in that range, wouldn't you say? Because the fantasy draft tends to be running back focused in the first round, right? plus you have mahomes maybe lamar jackson so to me that without doing deep dive research that seems fair not to mention the 
question marks around the new team, new offense, new chemistry, and all of that. Uh, so to me, uh, frankly, that seems fair. And closely related to that, Ravi, is one of my sleeper pickers, actually. I'm really excited for Christian Kirk, right? Mm, I see. just thinking that as good as Hopkins is going to be, this guy is probably going to be the biggest beneficiary. Because DeAndre Hopkins has already given his amazing seasons. There's entirely likely that he maintains that uh, performance or go slightly up or slightly down. But what I feel like he's going to do is open up some space for Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella and guys like that. Uh, that's hmm. my thinking on that. And that was actually... you Funny you brought the Cardinals receivers up because Christian Kirk is one of the guys I have my eyes on. And I'm just going to look at how he compares to Andy Isabella and things like that. I don't have a feel for that yet. So, which means you're not drafting Larry Fitzgerald in your... Uh... <laughs> not until the 10th round. <laughs> Actually, I, it's been a wrong decision on my part, but I have stayed away from him for a few years now, actually. I used to be very high on him, just like you are, right? A few yeah, years yeah. back, we went... We, 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 I think we went earlier for him than we should have. Now, last few years, I have slowed down. I go later for it than I should have and end up not getting him. I see. Yes, so your point on Hopkins makes sense that his presence will probably make Kirk and others more useful. And which also then tallies with the fact that Kyler doesn't really zone in on one receiver. He just finds the open guy. Right. Uh, plus, you know, Kyler is a threat on uh, other fronts as well. So you're right. I mean, maybe that's part of the reasoning for Hopkins. and But to your other point, I think in terms of where does he stack up in terms of wide receiver only rankings, he's currently number five drafted behind uh, uh, behind what's his name? Uh, Tyreek Hill and, uh, and Devante Adams and Michael Thomas and Julio Jones are the other four uh, ahead of Hopkins. And to me, I mean, you know, again, can't argue with that. So, so, so he's ahead of uh, OBJ basically. He is uh, much ahead of OBJ. So Mike tier, Evans. Yeah. So he's ahead of Mike Evans. So basically, tier two, which is rankings five through eight for wide receiver, mm-hmm. is Hopkins, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, and believe it or not, Allen Robinson. Oh wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm not sure about Allen Robinson. Yeah, same yeah, here. I, I think as far as where he is, it may be fair. The guys above him probably needs to be above him, right? You said Tim yes, Hill, yes, yes. Michael Thomas. Uh, uh, what the other names? I forgot. Uh, uh, Adams, Devante Adams, and uh, Julio, Julio Jones. Julio, yeah, yeah. Which so, makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, in but in that same vein, the one guy that I feel is being drafted or seen too low um, is number forty-six among wide receivers, Debo Samuel. Um, you know, there's he is uh, hurt though, right? Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I don't know uh, when he is going to come back, but it's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, you are right. Uh, uh, he had a foot surgery, but looks like he's already back. So you have to be a little bit careful with that because uh, he got off-season surgery, uh, but he sh- probably is going to be back. 
Okay, because I'm looking at his overall ranking of 118, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, behind the likes of uh, Latavius Murray, Anthony Miller, Mike Gesicki, uh, and the glorious Baker Mayfield. And so, but again, having said that, I did not realize that he was not available yeah, yeah. for some part of the season. Right. Cool. It's it's good we are getting in the flow of things. I'm sure you'll be all over all these details uh, and and imparting some crucial knowledge in the coming weeks and I'm looking forward to it. Just get up your excitement level from 25 to 50%. 50% Ravi will probably kick all our uh, butts in a fantasy well, conversation. So. Hasn't happened in a few years, Arvind, so I don't <laughs> think so. But for my own satisfaction, yes, I need to pump that up a little bit and no, I will I, after this conversation. I, I'm just saying you'll kick our butt in a fantasy conversation, not necessarily in a fantasy <laughs> league. Because you're too good for your own success. You just will trade away your guy in two weeks. You'll draft DeAndre Hopkins and he'll be gone next week. So, so your season can go either way, but your knowledge is always top-notch. That's my uh, two-cent analysis on uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate I think I should stick to just doing armchair though because I still cannot live down having traded Odell Beckham for Nate Burleson a few years ago. So... <laughs> No, to your point, maybe uh, you made this point that you think that it's going to affect trading, right? The way yeah, the yeah. season can end anytime is going to affect your mindset about trading. And that might be a, a different feel for you, which may end up being a blessing in disguise in some ways. It'll, I'm I'm actually interested in seeing how that works out for you. My, my You just bumped up my interest level from 65 to 68%. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, no, definitely uh, something that, I mean, we cannot, hey, let's be honest, we cannot live without fantasy football. So if it's a three-week season, you're right. I mean, we probably should treat it like it's going to be a 16-week one. Yes, yes. All right. So that's all I had. Anything else you want to uh, talk about before finishing this uh, session? We Hopefully, we'll have more of these as uh, more sports, uh, you know, descend upon us. Yeah, no, nothing else, Arvind. This has been, a, again, great to catch back on. Um, again, uh, really looking forward to doing more of these over the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, stay safe, everybody. And let's hope the leagues uh, stay safe as well. Likewise. Thanks so much. Hey!